Yay, God. Hallelujah. Mm, it's good. <clears throat> Today in, uh, in our intercessory prayer, it was just so good. One of the things I heard that I really, really liked, uh, Deanna, who's our, one of our leaders for the children's uh, ministry, she was meditating about the river and the, you know, the river of God in Ezekiel 47. It says, the river flows from the throne of God, and it starts at ankle deep, and the, is an invitation, would you come out deeper? So he walks out deeper, and it's knee high, and then there's an invitation to come out deeper. Waist high, you want to come out deeper? And then it's chest high, and then the river takes you where it wants to go. You no longer dictate to the river, right? And the river of God flows. I love that song. It's also in Revelation where it talks about it brings healing to the nations. So when we were asking the Lord, we were actually transitioning from the Vineyard Association to uh, Randy Clark, Bill Johnson's ministry, uh, Global Legacy, and we're becoming one of their churches. It was, uh, it was at that point we're saying, well, well, who are we? And Bill Johnson actually called me on the phone. He goes, you know, Tom, there's um, names really matter, really matter. So we were like, oh, that's big. So we were praying, and one of our worship leaders, Brent Naylor, who's part of the Agape tribe, he wrote a song about Ezekiel 47, about the river flowing. And, and then um, my wife was in prayer, and she was in Ezekiel 47. I think, you know, Global River, we're about global missions. And so Global River stuck. And, uh, well, today, Deanna, uh, who's come from Bogota, Colombia, just this is an amazing young woman, and, um, and her husband, Nico, as well. We're really blessed to have them as our children's leaders. She goes, I was in prayer, and I had a vision about the river. And the river rises as you get more and more in love. And I like that a lot. What, what dictates the depths of the river is the love of God. You know, right? If you love God, that river is going to flow you. <laughs> and we want class 5 water. Sometimes we don't know what we're asking. I used to race canoes and stuff like that. Like, whoo, class 5. Wow, Jesus. You, you, you kind of just try to do your best to stay afloat. And Anyway. So, Lord, we pray for tonight, Lord, as we embark on the next Equipping of the Saints series about becoming a prophetic community. God, we're on a journey, and Lord, I'm asking you to show us uh, your heart on this. And it's more than information. It has to be transformation. And it has to be a part where the heart joins in and the Holy Spirit. We put up the sail, Lord, but you blow on that. You just blow on this in direction. And we become a prophetic community that hears the voice of God and operates in it. And I give you thanks, Father. I thank you for the hungry ones who've come. Lord, help us to hear you. Teach us, Holy Spirit. You're welcome here. And we give you thanks in the mighty name of Jesus. Everybody's going to say amen? Amen. amen. All right. I'm, I'm real excited about what we're about to embark on. Just a couple of um, things. We had actually went, uh, some of our elders went, and uh, a lot of our staff went to the Voice of the Prophets. We were up in uh, Pennsylvania, and we heard, uh, we heard amazing things from several of the teachers there. Uh, so I want to just encourage you. We were listening. One of the things that really inspired me is Dan McCollum, and I think maybe in a couple of weeks um, I'm going to take, it's about an hour and a half, so I'll have to get right on it. And, but he's got a DVD on a teaching that was done, and so uh, I think I think that's where we're going to go, but I need to lay the foundation. I want to welcome those that are joining by live streaming. Uh, some of the materials, obviously, we're going to be using this as the biblical basis, right? What is prophecy? I'll start out by saying prophecy and tongues are areas that many have had issues with. There are those who are cessationists who believe that tongues ceased when the apostles died, 
that uh, signs and wonders in healing, those things are not necessarily for today. Um, there are those that believe the prophetic ministry has it's got a bad rap. There are areas where it has been abused. Um, so I'm going to start tonight. We're going to lay the foundation biblically. That's going to be really hard to argue with. If you believe this is the Word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit, we're just going to lay that as a foundation. And uh, so those gathering that want to challenge that, uh, just listen, go with us, stay in the Scriptures, look at it for yourselves, and then um, we'll take the next few weeks unpacking what is it in prophecy, how do we hear God, how do we go there, and then why would we go there? And so if you look at your handout tonight, um, I want us to see, I've, some of my informational stuff, there's uh, All May Prophesy by, by uh, Steve Thompson. I've taught out of this before, basic training in the prophetic ministry from Chris Volatin uh, from Bethel. Uh, that's a really good study. And then I've got both of uh, Dan McCollum's uh, basic training in the prophetic activation and the good fight, uh, prophetic processing workbook. How do you know when you get a prophetic word, what do you do with it and how do you handle it? Uh, how do you know if it's from the Lord? So we're going to do the best there. And I've tried to outline some of the, what I'll call, or some of the roads we're going to run down. First will be the biblical basis in your handout on the front page there, the biblical basis of prophetic ministry. What does it mean, seriously, if we become a prophetic community? What does that look like? You spent the last five weeks looking over what does it mean if we were to be following the core values of a spirit-led church? What would that really look like? And then this time with two weeks ago or a couple weekends ago with Leif and Jack and what happened there and, and where we're at. We're in a 21-day fast right now. If you um, want to join us in that, that would be great. I would encourage you if you're here Sunday. The handouts for that, um, I don't know if I have any more of those, but um, we outlined a 21-day prayer fast, and I don't know that we've ever done this as a church. There been a lot of fasts, but this one, let's take what Derek Prince encouraged since we shared some of his uh, prophetic ministry, his declaration word that happened in 1975, which, by the way, came to light Sunday. We, in 1975, in April, Derek Prince prophesied at the tabernacle in Jacksonville, and it was this first gathering of a, a multiracial worship uh, time, and he prophesied that God was going to move over southeastern North Carolina. And so we shared that Saturday night a week and then Sunday morning. And then what I shared Sunday morning was as soon as Jack Taylor, Frida, and Leif got on a plane to fly out, Charisma Magazine issued, now he's been dead since 2003, but issued an, a uh, prophetic word that was sent out at 3 o'clock that Sunday as they were flying out of the airspace from ILM. Like the generals had come to town, delivered the message, and Charisma just settled it. He said, if you want revival, this is what it's going to take. And it was, how hungry are you for revival? There's a, there's a prayer element of, of that. And so we began a Monday, a 21-day prayer fast, 15 minutes a day, not an hour, 15 minutes a day, but you could do longer, just asking the Lord, start with Holy Spirit poured out on us as individuals, on our families, lost ones, those that need more of you, our church family then the city, then southeastern North Carolina, and the state, and the nation, and the nations. 
And if you start down that path, I'm just telling you this, I've been having some amazing, I had an amazing dream two nights ago that I'm still unpacking that, oh my gosh, Lord, I know it was God. It was a two-parter. I don't have, but I've been praying, Lord, show. And I've had some interpretation. Mm. Anyway, I'm just going to hold that for right now, and we'll just see where the Lord goes with it. But I want us to see that God is about to release, and if you'll join in with us in the prayer time, ask the Lord to get hungry. You can't manufacture hunger. You can't, like, drum this up and get all emotional and, like, get all hyped for revival. God's got to move. He's got to pour it out. And what does it take to do that? It's hungry hearts. And we know that from Second um, Chronicles. Yeah, I did. It was the, that there's going to be an outpouring in southeastern North Carolina greater than the Welsh Revival. And um, what happened is this month, April, when this prophetic word was delivered, which was April 28th, that Sunday, was 44 years from when Derek delivered that prophecy in Jacksonville. It's also the fourth month. And if you notice, one of our little children, um, she came and she shared out of Ezekiel 44.4. And it came all together. It's like she, she read that. We had her prophesy it over the dance when the Lord came to fill the temple, right, out of Isaiah 6. And, and uh, again, would you just look at it? She shared just spontaneously one night, uh, the night, I guess it was Sunday morning, I forget, what all ran together during the conference. Um, she was whacked under the Holy, she was moved by the Holy Spirit. And uh, it was Saturday night. She was moved by the Holy Spirit. And she's what, how old is she? Eight, eight years old. Um, Ella. And so Ella's eight years old. And so she just professed Ezekiel 44.4, stated it. She said, I got to read this. And she read it, right? And then she also read it for our dance. And that was hers. Yeah, share that. So for the dance, I had five scriptures that went along with it, talking about the glory. So Ella's was to read that. And I, my prayer was and my inspiration was that they believed that it could really happen for them. So when she was up there worshiping, she actually experienced herself. She fell out. And then when she came to, she's like, I know what just happened to me, Ezekiel 44.4. <laughs> so she realized that it was true, and she experienced it. So when the dancers did the dance on Sunday, that I see the Lord high and lifted up, that his train filled the temple, we had her read that. So again, when you just put all these pieces together, um, it's really hard not to see the Lord is up to something, right? <laughs> and so I'm just encouraging us to uh, keep an open mind as we go down biblically where we are, I hope at the end, or pray at the end of this thing, we'll have not only laid the foundation, but we'll understand more about how do you handle a prophetic word? What is a prophetic word? Uh, how do you decipher whether it's from the Lord or from the flesh, or worse? Um, and so, if we're going to be uh, living in this greatest prophetic era, which I think we are, we know from, from Acts 2, we'll see that tonight, then how do you partner with the Holy Spirit for that? And then... Prophecy declares how heaven sees you. Hello? Prophecy is a word. If you are inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak a word, given permission to speak a word, you are declaring how heaven sees this person. And I love what 
I forget which one of them, it might have been Lathe, or Jack said, that when we see people by their destiny as opposed to their history, then we're really operating in chair number one. If you haven't understand that language, get the book, right? And because uh, it, it's really important for us to stay as a, as a community, we have to stay in chair number one. And so prophecy declares that, and then we want to align with our divine assignments. Let me say this in advance. I was praying about this t- this morning, and prophecy is one of the giftings. We're going to look at that in detail tonight. I'm sure you've read this before if you've read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14. But what is different about prophecy? I don't care what position you are, nurse, editor, pastor, mom, homemaker, retired. If you operate in the gift of prophecy... You operate from heaven's perspective into another person that's in your realm. You can speak to them under that gift. It doesn't matter your position. You, you're connected with heaven. Now, if you pray in tongues, you, you, you prophesy, Paul's going to tell us that I, I desire that all of you would speak in tongues, but I wish that all of you would prophesy. And it's the one gift, he says, he even uses the word covet, which I thought was illegal, <laughs> And it is in most things, but not for that gift. And so, all right, let's, uh, let's turn. I want to start, first of all. If uh, I wanted to set that up because I believe we're living in a prophetic moment. We just had two, a father and a, and a spiritual brother of mine come and say, this is what we see over you, that God wants to move on you. There's a moment in time, and right now, prophetically, if you'll grab hold of this, and so we're going to grab hold of this. But I want us to then move in the next step because I believe when he pours out his spirit in such a way that all the hungry start pouring in, I have gotten more phone calls this week of people broken, addicted, tormented, demonized that are struggling and they're asking for help. We're going to have to have a lot of trained people available, right? Um, So when that starts happening, a prophetic community sets things in motion that is just they, they hear from God. And so, all right, let's, uh, you got your scriptures because you're going to need them. If you don't, you, there's Bibles back there. Uh, get one, pull out your phone, just put it on silence. All right, let's, um, let's start with Amos. I shared this actually on Sunday, but I want us to turn to Amos chapter 3. Is it warm in here? Yes, no, I love it. <laughs> Okay, the ladies have, you know, sweaters on and, okay. Ah, All right, I'm just wound up. I know that for for a fact. Okay. Um, In Amos chapter 3, there's really two verses here that are really, I tried to demonstrate Sunday. Let's look at verse 7. Indeed, the sovereign Lord never does anything until he reveals his plans to his servants, the prophets. Amos 3, 7. Let me say it again. Indeed, the sovereign Lord never does anything until he reveals his plans to his servants, the prophets. Was Trump's presidency, let me get controversial a minute, was Trump's presidency prophesied? I shared about seven years in advance, Kim Clement. If you ever go ahead and study, get online and look at Mark Taylor. Um, Israel vetted him. And so... Was Jesus' birth prophesied? Was his resurrection prophesied? Is his second coming prophesied? 
Okay, so when you start looking at this, well, you know, I don't know, we believe in prophecy. Well, the whole book, a lot of it, I mean, we're going to look at the minor prophets, and we're going to look at some of the New Testament prophets. Um, so we're going to also debunk the fact that it happened long after the resurrection. Question. Ah, yes. Wow. That, yes, he did. That's amazing. Um, I, I live about, you know, three-quarters of a mile from the zoo, and I was out getting the paper this morning. All of a sudden, I hear an African lion roaring, and I'm like, now, I've heard him before, and we know, but it, he was roaring, and I'm like, whoa, God, and so, yeah, we know that um, if you remember the prophecy we shared sometime in January that um, uh, the lady from Australia and... Um, Dutch Sheets shared, right? Dutch Sheets shared that there was, the, the lion of the tribe of Judah was about to put his paw down on the United States, and this was going to be a year. And that, that's an amazing prophecy. You can go online. Just look up Dutch Sheets and pull up. This is a prophetic lady from Australia prophesying about what's going on in the United States. A lot of what's happening right now, the markets, the, um, what's happening in the economy, all of that has been prophesied. So anyway, I'm off track, but let me, okay, so look at uh, verse 3, move up to in, in Amos 3, 3, can two walk together without agreeing on the direction? So there's this part where pro prophecy can help give direction to a body, to a family, for your life, for jobs, for interviews, pursuits. So prophecy is really, really critical, and it kind of ties with in helping to come into agreement. And so, I want us to see that uh, Amos, who happens to be a prophet, <laughs> he prophesied that the Lord reveals all these things in advance, at least the key events. All right, now let's get into the biblical basis. Turn with me, if you will. Turn your page to page one. The biblical basis of prophecy and the raising up of a prophetic community. I share this Sunday, but it was out of Joel 2.28 where if you read the three chapters of Joel, Joel does a, an, amazing an, an, an amazing description of the difficulty Israel goes through. They have been in sin. They get judged by God. There is, you know, the, the, there's been destruction of their crops, and, their, and, and the Lord then pours out restoration. They cry to Him. They, they come with weeping and fasting rending their hearts, and he shares that in, in Joel's prophecy, which was also in Derek Prince's handout on Sunday. And then he, he shares what is going to happen after there's been this outpouring. And in Joel 2.28 right there, it says, It shall come to pass afterwards, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Now, I want you to see, if you go into the context of Joel, I won't go there, uh, that is just before he ties together the great day of the Lord. So the, this is going to be a precursor to the coming of the, the second coming of the Lord. And so why is that significant? Well, because in Acts chapter 2, let's now turn to Acts 1 and 2. I want you to see how this comes about. Joel's prophecy was hundreds of years before Paul, uh, Peter then calls out Joel's prophecy, pulls it forward 
from that prophetic unction that Joel gave hundreds of years earlier and brings it to the now and says, this is that. And so, now it's been 2,000 years, which might seem long to us, but that's only two days in the Lord's agenda. He's outside of time. He says, you know, 1,000 years is like a day with the Lord. So two days ago, uh, Peter said this was happening now in the Lord's time book. Okay. So if you look at this prophetic word, and it was actually a commandment, the Lord told them over and over again, let's pick up in Acts chapter 1, in verse 4, he says, Acts 1, 4, he says, and I'm reading a New Living Translation, he says, and when he was eating with them, he commanded them, you notice he didn't make a suggestion, right, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends the gift he promised as I have told you before. So he's reiterating what he told them before. This is really important when he says, don't leave and wait. And I've told you this before. John baptized with water, but just a few days from now, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Why is that important? Verse 9, after saying this, he was taken up. <laughs> but in verse 8, he says, you're going to get power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's going to be real important in the prophetic revelation of the gifting. We're going to look at a distinction between how the Holy Spirit operated in Old Testament and how the Holy Spirit operates now in New Testament. What is different? And I've asked you to memorize Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 in the King James. Because when we look at that outpouring that's coming and that revelation of running the race and setting aside everything that gets in our way, when we as a body of believers run this race filled with the Holy Spirit, focused on Him, we have access to things that the cloud of great witnesses. In Hebrews 11, it says there's a great crowd of witnesses. We're surrounded by them. And he says, and I don't have time to unpack this now, but he says those cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on, get a picture of pom-poms and those guys up there in heaven, all of your loved ones, all the those who have gone before, come on, come on, Wilmington, Wilmington, come on, bring it on, bring it on now. They're up there. I can see my buddy Phil. I can see others up there saying, come on, because they can't reach perfection, it says, until you and I are there. Read that. Go read it. And it says, that perfection that's coming. So this fullness of coming of time, the prophetic revelation through the power of the Holy Ghost imparts to us, it says, these ones who went through all of those, they, they, they fought lions, they were sawn in half, they, they waited in faith, they were the great hall of faithers. It says they could not wait for the day of what you and I now have. They were anticipating that. The outpouring of the Holy Ghost is here. That's really important for a prophetic community. And we'll set the foundation. Okay, so you're there. Don't leave until the Father sends the gift. Then when you get the gift, you're going to get empowered. And then we know they're hanging around in a prayer meeting. And it says that it happened. In Acts chapter 2, you know this on Pentecost. It says the Holy Spirit comes. You know the story, the rushing mighty wind, the controversy that comes. Every time tongues has been involved, that I've been in, I've been in 12 different churches. I've been, a, I've been in a, well, it wasn't a cessationist church, but I've been in a cessationist church. I was an elder in a church that didn't believe in the Holy Spirit to be projected. It was the seek not, forbid not church. If you get it, you got it, but don't talk about it. And, uh, and I was an elder in that church, so I've been all over this one. Every time tongues is involved, there's controversy. Why? Because the devil hates it. 
And there are those that still say that it's not for today, it's tongues are of the devil. And I think there's a whole transition taking place. And here it starts. Acts chapter 2, the moment the Holy Spirit's poured out, we see here, they're out. This is well, those guys must be drunk. But it's 9 o'clock in the morning. Don't, people don't get drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning unless you really got a problem, right? And it says, they were then amazed, perplexed. I'm in, and I'm in Acts chapter 2 in verse tw- uh, 10. Uh, no, yeah, let's start in 10. It says, when it was poured out, there were all these folks in the different places, and it says both Jews and converts in verse 11, and they were speaking in the languages of their tongue. So you got Galileans who are proposed to be under the influence, but they're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and they're speaking in tongues that all of them from their native lands that they'd come from hear this word being professed. And there's this, what does it say in verse 12? They stood there, some were amazed, some were perplexed. 13 says, many ridiculed them, these men are all drunk. So start day one, tongues becomes an issue. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit, when it comes down, and prophecy is another issue. When you start prophesying, there's been, there's been abuses of prophecy. People that don't operate under the right influence of God speak words that can be harmful, or they're speaking under their flesh or under the bias of something else. They can use that to influence. They can use it to manipulate, to control. They can speak out of their brokenness. And we need to be able to understand, at the same time, we don't stop communicating. We don't stop wanting to hear from God. If you're afraid of hearing from God, then you shut off all the other opportunities from God. When I go to a foreign land, and I was, I was just meeting with uh, some of our Spanish community come from Colombia, and I needed a translator. Well, we, it's, it's a little difficult. We've got to get the right words right. You've got to have the right. But I don't stop communicating. My wife and I have been married 45 years. There's times we don't communicate really well. Why are you laughing? You guys have that trouble so much? Yeah, you guys ever watched Last Man Standing? Tim Allen and his wife. I, they're, they're, he's got three daughters. I can relate a lot to that guy. His wife, he's, he's not understood. Now, he doesn't try to be understood. I'm, I, I try. But anyway, I, I got you off track here. But here's the point. We don't stop trying to communicate because we don't get it right. Amen? And so what Paul is going to start to lay the foundation on biblically is you need to keep striving and keep coveting this gift. All right, let's move on, and I'll give you some more. It says that as soon as this happened, Peter stands up in verse 14. He steps up, and he said, this is what the prophet Joel prophesied was going to happen in the last days. And then he pulls out an excerpt from that whole book that says, I'm going to pour out my spirit. You see that? I'm going to pour out what spirit? His Holy Spirit. This is the Lord speaking through the prophet. He's going to pour out God's Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on the sons and daughters that he's waiting to have manifested in the earth in Romans 8. The whole earth is waiting for the groanings, for the manifestations of the sons of God. And so... He's pouring out His Spirit on sons and daughters. Well, what's going to happen? Young men are going to see visions. The old men are going to have dreams. And my Spirit will be poured out even on the servants, men and women alike. This is not one gen- This is gender universal here. And I will cause wonders 
And then you see, just before that happens, we, we pick up, this is the Matthew 24 prophecy, the apostolic things we've talked about, the last days that are coming on the earth. We spent a whole time in the book of Revelation. We looked at Ezekiel. We looked at Matthew's prophecy in, Mark, in Matthew 24, in Luke 21, in Mark 13, all the things Jesus said. When these things start happening, you better be ready. He ties this just before the day of the Lord. You're going to start to see this manifest majorly across the earth. And I believe the day is now here. It's starting. 20 years ago when I was in ministry, in Bible college, nothing. we, we don't hear anything about that. And now all of a sudden, the apostolic revelations that are coming, the fivefold ministry that's listed, the apostles, the teachers, the pastors, right, the evangelists, the prophets that are being raised up, we now see this is becoming almost normal language in the church, at least in the spirit-filled churches. There's still resistance, but guess what? Those churches that are not following the Holy Spirit, go look at their, what's happening to their attendance. They're on their way out because if you, if you discredit or disavow the, the moves of the Holy Spirit, you're outside the plan and the will of God. I say that strongly and I mean it. And so, so we, we make no, no excuses for it. We're not saying that we're better than, but we need to follow what the Scripture says. So now let's, let's pick up and what does the Scripture say? And I want you to see from this point on, this is post-resurrection. Paul was not an original apostle. He was called by the, the Lord himself, right? You know the story, right? On the road to Damascus. He's knocked flat. He's blinded. He is a, he's been a murderer. He's, been, he's killed Stephen. He's arrested whole families for following after the way, right? And so in his arrest, he's accosted by God. In his blindness for three days, he sends a messenger. Guess what? He sends a prophetic word through a man who said, I'm not going there. That's the guy who kills people. He goes, no, you need to go. He's got a, I've got a job for him, and I will show him the many things he must suffer. When that, when that man, led by the Holy Ghost, hello, goes there and lays hands on Paul, the scales fall off his eyes, he lays hands on him, and Paul is filled with the Holy Ghost, and he's baptized. And when that happens, now that's post-resurrection. That's post-resurrection, and it's post-apostolic, right? So this idea that, oh, it all went away, no, it did not. Now, why would Paul instruct the planted churches in 1 Corinthians? Okay, let's turn there. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This first part, I'm, I believe, is going to be, if you've been studying this, you know this, but I want us to reiterate, and for those that are following by, by remote, I want us to see, biblically, this is what is called for today as Spirit-filled believers. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, there, there are gifts that are given, and it's given, he, he breaks it down, let's look at, beginning in verse 1, 1 Corinthians 12, 1, spiritual gifts. Now, brothers and sisters, regarding your question, so obviously they're saying, what's about all this? These people are doing this over here, and they're talking, talking, huh? Is that good, Paul? Remember, they don't have this yet, and so he's writing letters, and Paul writes this letter. He says, brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this as the Spirit gives. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray, and you were swept along worshiping speechless idols. So I, don't want, I, so I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. 
that'll, that'll anchor that. Then he says, now, verse 7, so since I've settled that, that Jesus is Lord, and you can't say he's not, so now that you know he is, let me give you this, verse 4, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but it is the same spirit that is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift, this is key, you might want to underline this. I have it underlined and highlighted. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Hello? It's not to wow anybody how spiritual you are. It's to help a brother or sister out, giving insight. It's, it says to build up the church, and if you've got a member of, who believes in Christ, then they're a member of the church. So that's why a spiritual gift, now then he lists what they are, right? Wise advice, wisdom, knowledge, discernment, faith, healing, miracles, tongues, interpretation, tongues. So he lists nine gifts there. And he says he alone decides which one of those you should get. Now, this is... Interesting, but it turns out, he goes on, I won't go through all this, but he says the, there's many body parts, right? He's the head of all of it. So the church down the road, um, that may be the arm, we're a leg, someone's a hand, someone's a nose, and you don't sit there and say, man, you're ugly. That's an ugly body part. No, it's your body, man. If you're wise, you'll take care of the body part. By the way, he says that it's his bride, so you better not call my bride ugly, yeah, I may not stay in chair number one very long, all right? So, so I don't think it's wise for us to make critical judgments against other churches. Let's just not do that because it's a body part, and one body part is functioning this way. When I think of uh, some of our churches that are not uh, spirit-filled maybe as much, they're bringing what I'll call pre-believers in. They minister to them, and then they become believers, and then they say, I, many times they come and say, we're hungry for more. We think there might be more. Can, we, can you show us the more? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So one waters, one harvests, one, you know, one, so one plants. So here's the point. Don't, there, he also says, he puts you in the body he wants you in. I like that. All right, moving right along. So then he gets to look at verse 27. He says, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of the part plays a part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed to the church. Apostles, prophets, teachers, miracle workers, gifts of healing, helps, leadership, unknown tongues. Then he goes on and says, well, are every, is everybody all that? No. They're not all apostles and they're not all prophets. Do, are all teachers? No. Do all have miracles, the ability? No. But do we have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you see, you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But let me show you the way to life that is best of all. And then he spends all of chapter 13. If you know chapter 13, it's the love chapter. It's the one that you hear most weddings, right? And if you, I shared this today. The Lord downloaded to me. In one of my dream warnings is, it's, we, even as a group, we said, when we're a church led by the Holy Spirit, we prayed, Lord, send the signs and wonders. We want to see the miraculous. We want to see the blind eyes open. We want to hear the deaf hear. 
We want to see that. We want to see the lame walk. We want to see cancers healed. We want to see tumors fall. We want the dead to be raised. I want you to go lay hands on those that are dying in hospice and they'll be raised from and there'll be a testimony. I want to see all that. I want to see because I've been in nations. When that starts happening, the flock, they flock. They're hungry to see. The signs and wonders verify the message is true. I want all of that. But he warned me, he says, be careful. Pursue the sign giver, not just the signs, right? So that's true. But then again, if you've been, if you're the only Holy Spirit-led person, the only living stone in the room, and the Holy Spirit wants to do something and you're led by the Spirit, you will have every one of those gifts. I've shared with you, some of you who were with me in Tanzania at Boma. Okay, you guys were there. Now, I left there thinking, man, I've now moved into the healing ministry. We were there, and it was a Muslim area. It was scary. We had been so told to go there, do a a massive breaking free um, breakthrough for this. There was a mosque there. The Muslims, half half the city was Muslim, half of it was not. And they had been prophesying all 24 hours from the, with loudspeakers from the mosque about Allah and bombarding the field we're in. And I'm like, oh my Lord, where in the world are we? And so that night, when we, well, that day when we arrived, I said, okay, Lord, we're going to do a breaking free. Our team had been there the day before. They'd prayed for others, prayed the kingdom to come. They had prayed the word of God. And, and so we come to do a deliverance session on this town. And long story short, I said, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this breaking free if you've called us to do this. And I'm going to do a deliverance session. So in the morning, I, I started laying the foundation. If you're not saved, deliverance is not for you. So I laid a salvation message out. And then I, I said, now, you can't be involved in witchcraft because there's a whole lot of witchcraft in this area. You can't be involved. In, it's not mixing Christianity and witchcraft. We're not having any of that. So I set foundation in place. And I had estimated, I counted, I'm sitting there with the Lutheran pastor from the town. There's about 1,000 in the crowd. And you got Maasai warriors in full Maasai garb with spears. You got women in full burqas. All you see is, is their eyeballs. And then you got the guys, Muslim men in their white hats, and they're there. And it was not a happy face. You had those from the church that were there. and they, So I'm like, this is a different crowd to preach to, and I'm supposed to do deliverance on them. So I did my best. I said, lay the foundation because, and so then we broke for lunch. I come back, and the word was out, and I don't know if they had stopped farming in there. I don't know what, but all of a sudden I looked out. I made an estimate. There's now 4,000 in the crowd. And I'm like, how does this work, God? I mean, they weren't here to hear the first part of this setup of the message. And I'm supposed to bind the strong man. And, and they can't. And I'm, so then they had to dance. So anyway, long story of that is I got, I asked the Holy Spirit, do you really want me to do this? Or should I pack up our guys? Because this looks like it could get really unhinged. Because the guys in the back are sitting there like, you going to preach this or what? And Allah's still blasting the thing over. I'm like, oh, my. The Lord said to me, in my spirit, man, not audibly, either go big or go home. And I said, that, that's not a great answer. You left it with me. And so I felt like I prayed Psalm 91. Lord, I don't, we're going we're gonna to be protected, right? So I said, all right, we're going to go forward. So then I started down the breaking free sessions. How many of you would like to be free of your torment? You've got to engage your will. Lots and lots of hands went up. And then I started the breaking free model, confession of faith, renouncing witchcraft. And when we got all done, there was 
we could hear some um, screams of freedom. My team, Terry and them, were running the deliverance tents behind. You could hear the screams coming out of, I said, that's just the screams of freedom. It's all right. It's all right. And I said, now, now that we've done that and nobody got hurt, I said, now, how many would like prayer? I turned to the, the skeptical pastor who was there. He was not sure. He, he, he was a good pastor, but he was skeptical about what we were doing. And I don't know if he was as nervous as, as maybe I was. But I said, Pastor, we're about ready to pray for the sick. And I would like the terminally ill to come forward, the really sick people come forward. So he got on the microphone in Swahili. He invited those who were sick. And hundreds of people started to move to my team of 16 that's in the front. And I said, no, Pastor, we're the really, really sick. That's, tell them. No, we just, he says, they are the really sick. That's why they're here. And I'm like, Okay. And I don't know how many were standing in front of Terry and others, but many, many lines of people in front of you. And we started praying, and, and then all Bedlam broke out. When I gave the altar call, over 250 came to Christ. It's the largest number of, at that time that I had seen come to Christ. And then the, then, the, then the outbreak happened. People started getting healed over and over again. So when we got back on the bus, I mean, it was... I, the interviews of the people that were there, I remember what set the whole thing in motion. There was a woman a, in full burqa. You could only see her eyes. It was a red and white burqa. And she got up, and I said, Pastor, you do the interviews. You do the interviews, because I want to make sure you heard them. <laughs> and he in, starts interviewing this woman and said, there was tumors in my uterus. And I went to the Allah conference yesterday to be healed, and Allah did not heal me, and I came here. See, they don't have an issue with Jesus Christ, the healer, or the teacher. It's in the Quran, and so when they interview, it says, but when I came here, my tumor from my uterus is now gone, and then the crowd went crazy, and then that day, I don't know how many of us had miraculous things happen. Blind eyes, tumors disappear, so when we get on the bus to go back to wherever we were staying. It was a coffee plantation, I forget now. And uh, it was at the coffee plant. I mean, our whole team was as wound up as I've ever seen a team wound up. Blind, they were all testifying of what the miraculous. So I got back in the hotel and I said to the Lord, I said, I know, Lord, that I think what's happened is Global River has moved into a healing ministry. This scripture here that talks about can I heal, can all work miracles, you did it. And I'm like, I couldn't sleep. I was like so wound up. I said, Randy's going to be so proud of us. And oh, Leif's really going to be proud of us. And like, man, we're, yeah. I said, Lord, why did that happen? And I felt in my spirit, the Lord said, well, in other words, don't get too wound up. Um, you are the instrument. He said it this way. He says, Allah challenged me, and I will not be challenged by Allah. You happen to be the right people at the right place, and your team of 16 risked their lives, spent their money, you came here, you've been discomforted, you put yourself in a position, you were my vessels, and I used it. And all of us were in a different place, I'm telling you. <clears throat> so I want us to see Paul saying not everybody does this, but if you're the only spirit-filled one, the living stone in the room, guess what? You got it all. It is available to you. And to think that it's not available is not biblical. So let's move on because here's what he says. So 1 Corinthians 13 speaks about love. And you know this one, that if you're not operating out of a love from your gift, all it is is wood, hay, and stubble. It'll burn up. 
right? You can, it says, what does he say in third? You can give your life, your body to be sacrificed. You can give all your money. You can do all these things. But if you don't have love, it costs you, it gets nothing. There's no credit for it. So it has to be rooted in love. That's why I love this thing about Ezekiel 47. The river rises by the amount of love we're carrying. Get that down in your spirit. Then he'll move. And so, Lord, keep rising. Keep rising. Raise, the, raise that river on us, Lord. Okay. So for, Corinthians 13 is sandwiched between the gifts in 12. Now let's pick up in 14. Well, actually, let's pick up the, the tail end of 13. So if you have not love, you have nothing. And the greatest of these is love, right? He goes, okay. Then he picks up. He says, um, look at verse 9. 1 Corinthians 13, 9. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. Hello? Getting that? So you, you may not see everything when you get a prophetic word. We see certain things. We're under the influential revelation of the Holy Spirit, but we see in part. That's, in, that's, that's important to know. It says, King James uh, says it that way. New Living says, our knowledge is partial and incomplete. Even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. For I was a child, I spoke as a child, I thought as I reasoned as a child. Now things are imperfect. But when will we see everything in perfect clarity? All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. He says it in King James, we look through a glass darkly, and when everything is revealed. So when everything is revealed, that's why this gift is not stopped. We only see partially right now. But when the complete is complete, when Jesus comes back and we're in heaven, we're not going to probably need prophetic words. We got, the, we got the key to all prophecy there, right? And so I want us to see that right now it's partial. So if you don't get the whole picture... Well, you don't have the complete translation, you still communicate, correct? All right. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love, the greatest is love. Okay, verse four, uh, 14.1. Let love be the highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the, the ability to prophesy. King James is even stronger. It says, for he that speaks in an unknown tongue, um, verse 1, Charity and desire of the spiritual gifts, but especially prophecy. For if you speak in an unknown tongue, you speak to men. You speak not unto men, but unto God. For no man understands him. Howbeit the Spirit speaks these mysteries. <laughs> the New Living says, The Spirit gives a special ability to, uh, to prophesy. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God. Since people won't be able to understand you, you'll be speaking under the power of the Spirit. But it will be a mysterious one. But one who prophesies, strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues strengthens personally. But one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. I wish you could all speak in tongues. But even more, I wish you would all prophesy. Did you underline all? How many of you have ever given a prophetic word to someone? <clears throat> About half of you, okay. By the end of this, I'm praying that you're going to all have given a prophetic word when we do the activation part of this. And so, 
But I want you to understand what we're reading is the legal aspects. Paul saying, I'm glad that you speak in tongues because that edifies you and the spirit man. You're speaking to God in your spirit because we are a three-part being, right? So you engage, when you speak in tongues, you're speaking to, through the Holy Spirit to God. He understands it. When you speak in, in the language that's known prophetically under the unction of God in your language, you edify whoever's hearing that. And that's why Paul says, you got to all do this. I'm glad you speak in tongues. That's great. But I desire more that you would all speak in tongues and speak in prophecy above all. <clears throat> so I wish you could all prophesy. Verse 5, <clears throat> unless someone interprets what you're saying, the whole church will be strengthened. All right. So let's go a little deeper. Take a look at verse 12. The same is true for you, since you're eager to have the special abilities the Spirit gives, seek those that will strengthen the whole church. Well, He just told you what that was. So anyone who speaks in tongues should pray also for the ability to interpret. For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, thank you, sir, <clears throat> and I understand, and I sing in the Spirit. So do you guys like when we sing in the Spirit on Sunday mornings, right? And... There's something about praying in the Spirit. Now, Paul, is clar he clarifies for us, <clears throat> if you're going to give a, a word spoken in tongues, so if it's one thing if we're corporately speaking in tongues. We're just edifying my spirit. When we're in the prayer room, and in the morning, pre-service prayer, we're asking our spirit to come in connection with God. And we may be corporately in tongues, but we're really individually. At that moment, we are speaking to the Spirit. We're not looking for interpretation. It's us in connection. But in the body of Christ, when Paul gives instruction, he says, if you're going to have tongues spoken, let three maximum and make sure someone's present to interpret. So when we're singing in the Spirit, we are singing as a corporate body individually to Him. But there'll be a time when if someone gives a tongue, you'll notice uh, sometimes uh, one of our ladies comes up and she'll actually sing. It almost sounds like a Japanese or Asian tongue, and then she interprets, right? So what he's saying is don't speak in tongues in a corporate setting, one person without an interpreter present. But that's not to be confused about we sing with tongues of angels unto him. Or we speak when we're, so people, well, they're going to speak in tongues. All, yeah, we, we might. But there'll be an order to that. Yeah. Uh, probably overcome by the Spirit, you know. And so, again, we can talk about protocols, which we will uh, in prophecy. We've also done this in ministry team. If you're not sure, we don't want to offend. Remember the Scripture says, don't become a stumbling block to someone? So if someone comes in and they're a visitor, it's just, it could be scary enough to come in here as a visitor, right? And you've got these people flagging around here and all sorts of stuff going on. There's children doing stuff and like, wow, there's a lot of motion in the ocean, and it's all good. But if you're not comfortable with that, if you've ever come out of a traditional, more traditional church, it's like, I remember the first day, I sat right where Minnie's sitting, and I'm like, what is all this? We got to get out of here. And my wife said, just calm down, sit down. And so, anyway, so 
I felt like I was in back in time out. There I am again. John. It, you, good question. The question was, if someone comes up, they have a tongue, but you're not sure if there's an interpreter. It's almost like, okay, Lord, do you have an interpreter present? <laughs> I know there are people that can interpret in our body, but I've been in meetings where <clears throat> someone will give a tongue, and maybe I read this or was I in a meeting with Randy? I think it was in a meeting with Randy Clark. This I think she was 14. I might have the, the ages wrong, but the concept is, this, is right. She spoke, she stood up, and she spoke at it, and it sounded like a Hebrew tongue. If you've ever been in Israel, you, you, you've heard Hebrew. And a Jewish person from, who knew the Hebrew came and said, where did your daughter learn perfect Hebrew? Because she didn't. Yes, she did. No, she didn't. And what was the point? So there's, you have to ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, do I just let this fly? Um, or, because again, I told you, when we're operating in the Spirit, how do, you, how do you pastor in the midst of the signs and wonders? Remember one of our meetings a few Wednesdays ago? You're going to have the flesh operating, you may have the, the demonic operating, and you have the Holy Spirit operating. And which one is it? Ah, well, it's not always clear. Some are clear, but not always. So, I know that's about as clear as mud, John, but it's, it's, it's like, Holy Spirit, do we let this go? And, and, and I got to tell you, the, uh, it was Sunday. I, I'm sorry, what's your full name? Yeah, Don, Donna. Donna came up. The way our protocol is, if you get a word from the Lord, whoever's facilitating the service, come to them and, and let them see where that might fit. And I would say 80-plus percent of the time, we let those, we, we believe, we hear that, we try to decipher what the Holy Spirit's doing, and it's so wonderful in the confirmation. When you're trying to flow in the Holy Spirit, you will get confirmations. Um, what was it? Tracy, I think, came to me Sunday morning, and uh, anyway, and, and someone else did, but there was, I had just gotten, in fact, when, when Pastor Mike grabbed the mic and said, we need to go right now and sing. I had just, the Holy Spirit just said, we need, to, we need to go and do something with this one. And right, and so there's this amazing confirmation when you're trying to connect, when you're really trying to honor Him and let the Holy Spirit lead the service, He will do it. And so you'll get confirmation. Now there's sometimes that, I just don't know if that fits right now. That, and it may be that the person, it's more for them individually than it was for the corporate body. And don't get offended by it. I mean, and so, but I felt when Donna had, she came up, it was around communion. I said, that fits with communion. And that word went out. And what did it do? It was a prophetic word that edified the entire body, right? And it fit with the theme of everything that I was about ready to preach. And so, anyway, I, so when you're, we're in the midst of flowing with you, prophetically, this is a great example prophetically of, I'm feeling the Holy Spirit is saying this. And is that the target of the person you want me to go to? And so you're asking, Lord, what's the word? And is this the time for it? And strategically, how do I give it? And so we'll talk more about the delivery of that and how you can decipher it. But the reason, John, I was saying that is we don't want to be a stumbling block to anyone. So as a ministry team member, we'd go through training. Pastor Terry does a training of that a couple times a year. 
And one of the things we say is, if you're not sure of the person who's standing in front of you, don't wow them by speaking it. No, I know, I know you weren't, Sean. What I'm saying, but de- deciphering that, and you were be- receiving prayer yourself. But if, if Leif went into tongues and he doesn't know who you are, he could turn you off by, by that. And what I tell people, you could quietly speak in tongues to yourself and ask in the Holy Spirit, I don't know what to pray right now. So I got to ask you what you want to do here. And so, so part of that is, again, we don't want to become a stumbling block. We're not trying to offend anyone. Sometimes it's just scary enough to go, go up for prayer and tell somebody about my stuff and ask that. That's hard. And we want to encourage it. We, we become more and more comfortable with that as we walk through it. But there are places that does not happen. And so we want it to become a, a natural part of vulnerability that none of us are uh, beyond needing some prayer from sun and we can receive it, right? Two or three agree. Okay, let's move on. So when we look at in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, In verse 15, well then, what shall I do? I will pray in the Spirit, but I will also pray in words I understand. I will sing in the Spirit, but I will also sing in words I understand. For if you praise God in the Spirit, how can those understand? So he's emphasizing again, tongues is fine, and speaking and singing in the Spirit is fine, but it's better if you would go after prophetic words. He goes with about maturity and understanding. So, Pick up in verse 22. So you see, speaking in tongues is a sign, but it's not for believers. It's for unbelievers. That's interesting because I've seen unbelievers get turned off by it. But he says, it'll certainly say, what are they doing? God bless you. Um, Hallelujah. (laughs) Hurricane Doug. (laughs) Prophecy, however, look at this one. He says, prophecy, however, is the benefit for the believers, not unbelievers. Now, let me just say this. If you walk up, have you ever been on street ministry, street angels, or you've been in a place, and the Lord downloads a specific word, and you go over and say, I'm sorry, you, can I pray for you? You look, you look like I, you could use some prayer. Yeah, I could use some prayer. In fact, we were checking out a voice of the prophets, and the lady who was going to clean our rooms was, just happened to be there when Katie and I and Ginny were checking out uh, in our hallway. And I turned to her, I said, thank you for cleaning our room. And, and uh, I said, can, can I pray for you? I, I started down and I was like, mm, wait. I went back, I said, can I pray for you? She goes, yeah, wow, yeah. And I said, uh, you a believer? She goes, I am. And I, I gave her a word about her, her family. I don't remember the details now. And all of a sudden, the tears start rolling. And then Jenny and Katie jumped in, and we were corporately praying for her. And it was just one of those moments. <clears throat> now, that was a prophetic revelation, a word of knowledge. And the Lord downloaded prophetically what the need was about her family. It was, I prayed for her son. And uh, that revelation broke the ice. I'm sure her day was better from that point on, right? And so, now, when you do that with unbelievers, you're in Walmart, you're in some place, and there's unbelievers. And, you know, you don't walk up and wow, but when you say, hey, how you doing? And, you know, you kinda, you're kind of, you're wise. But then you, you start hearing things from the kingdom side of things, and you bring that revelation, and they go, how did you know that? Are you like a psychic or something? Uh, well, no. Um, 
that's from God. Really? You hear from God? <laughs> wow. Anyway, so the point of that is prophetic words can break open an evangelistic experience for someone, right? Okay, moving right along. Okay, let's pick up in verse, verse 32. Remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit, and they can take turns. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, and as the meetings of God in the Holy Spirit. So here, let me give you an example. Um, depending on where you've come from, you might, you might be one that in the, in the protocol of where you were, in the middle of the meeting, someone could stand up and just give a prophetic, I have, I have a word from the Lord, and it's okay in their, in their protocol. It's not okay here because it becomes abusive. And I've had, uh, I remember a while back, I had to discipline someone. They had come from a place, and they said, look, that's the way we do it. That's where I've come from. I said, well, that's not the way it's done here. So you will submit to the leadership of this house. Well, I hear from Lord. You don't want to hear. I said, you know, the prophets are subject to the prophets. And so the Lord, well, I'm getting it right now from the Lord. I said, well, you, you won't forget it. The Lord's not going anywhere, right? When it's right and it's timely, it'll fit. Well, that guy got so mad he left the church. Now, I bless him, and, uh, and I'm, I'm not angry at him. I'm just, that's just not the way it's going to be. And so this determining on how it flows in the Spirit, what that Scripture says is prophecy is subject. If you get a word from the Lord, you'll get a word from the Lord. I've had this argument with people. says, Pastor Tom, you make all these outlines like days in advance. Yeah. Don't you want to be more spontaneous? I said, you, you don't think God can work over here with me? He has to be, he, I can't do anything until I get here. Um, I just, that's not how he works with me. There are those that, they are spontaneous. They don't, and it's okay. I mean, the Holy Spirit can work any way he wants to, right, in that process. And so, I'm not being critical of that. I'm not trying to be, but at the same point, there are rules in particular house. When I come to your house, I don't tell you how you ought to cook, how you ought to do your dishes, how you ought to correct your children. That's not my place, right? Okay. You okay with that? It's, it's really quiet in here. But yeah. we'll, we'll talk more about prophetic protocol when we get down the line. But it's working really well. If you look at, uh, we, we had our meeting last Thursday with all the worship leaders and dance and everything. And it was a really wonderful spiritual meeting, especially after the weekend we've been. And you'll notice what's, what's taking place. I don't know if you know this, but I'll just, um, and I don't want to be critical, but in the past, if you have a, um, someone who's leading worship, a worship pastor who sets the rules in place of that protocol, but there isn't a lot of room for spontaneity. You have to get the songs approved in advance. They have to be one like this and three like that. Um, then, and then there's correction on how the performance went. Um, it, it, was just, it was just really hard. And I can't play an instrument if I fell over it, right? And there's only under certain times that I can sing under the Spirit. If not, it's a little scary. And so it's a really safe place for worship folks. When they come, and we've had more come, Jason just joined us. We got John. These guys are... Where have all these people been? It's like amazing, right? And so what's happened, and our worship leaders will tell you, I just told them, I know when the Holy Spirit's moving, and all I'm after is that He gets what He's after. 
So however that, that means if you're up here singing and you want to stop and give a prophetic word on healing, then you go for it. I'll back you up. And if you miss it, I'll still back you up. And so, okay, now they, I wasn't sure they believed that at first, right? But you notice what's taken place in the last 14 months? The Spirit is moving. And prophetically, the Lord is, and it's a grand experiment. We're just, he just knows that we're just, we just want to please Him. It's really that audience. It's not, well, I didn't really like all that song. Well, guess what? It wasn't for you. <laughs> I'm glad you came, but you know what? It wasn't for you. Oh, okay. Yipes. I get myself in trouble sometimes that way, but it's really true. I mean, right? Anyway, okay. Let's pick up. It says, if you'll, the prophetic word needs to be under the, the guise or control of the Spirit as well. Look at, Paul sums it up in verse 39. 1 Corinthians 14, 39. So brothers and sisters, uh, 39, 4, 1 Corinthians 14, 39. So my, my dear brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, but don't forbid speaking in tongues. But be sure everything is done properly in order. So, you guys see what Paul's saying? Post-resurrection in a church, Corinthians was the church that, it was the bad boy, bad girl church. They were doing all sorts of not nice things, sleeping around, doing all sorts of crazy things with idolatry. They were being corrected, getting letters from Paul. When I come there again, you're going to really find out what, you know, it was like, praise God for the Corinthian church, right? And so, but Paul tells them, I want to give you instruction on worship. You all should be prophesying. Yes, speak in tongues. Let's be in order, but let's, and don't forbid people from speaking in tongues. So I don't know how you can pick up today and say that that's not for today. Please convince me how that's not for today. That was a planted church. It was a Gentile church planted by the Apostle Paul who was not an original apostle who said, I want you to have order in the church. I want you all to prophesy. In fact, I want you to covet it. Go after it because what will happen is people will come in in that gift. They'll start to see the move of God in that gift. But let them also speak in tongues. But do it in order. Is that good? Biblically? Okay. So, let's move on. The spiritual gifts. Turn to Romans 12 for a moment. Paul then goes to another church. And he tells the church at Rome, in Romans 12, look at verse 6. Now, these are apart, obviously, different places. It says, in Romans 12, 6, he says, in His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So, if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. That's awesome. You don't have to have a lot of faith. You just, God, I think it's you. And when you start with this, like, oh, my gosh, I hope I'm right. right. And I'm going to tell you, you don't have to always be right. It's not the Old Testament where they take them out, the prophets, and stone them. Okay? That's good news. We haven't done that this week. And so when we look at the graces God's given you, if you prophesy, prophesy as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage, others encourage. If it's giving, give generously. If it's leadership, lead. Take it responsibly. And if you have the gift of showing kindness to others, do it all gladly. But don't, prevent, don't pretend that you love them. Really love them. 
and serve enthusiastically. So I want you to see here again, Paul then goes to another church and he, he reiterate, reiterates to the church at Rome, prophesy. I want you to do that. I want you to work. I want all the gifts. In fact, he says every joint supplying. What if we had no servants in the house? No helpers. No children's workers. No teachers. No one who would cut the grass. Thank you, Terry. Go to, the, go to the food pantry in the heat and unload all the stuff that feeds how many people? What if we didn't have these people here? Come on. Anyway, if that's your gifting, serve well. And that's why when you operate in the gift of prophecy, unlike some of the other gifts, which we all embrace, the gift of prophecy, you could be anywhere doing anything at any time, and the Holy Spirit downloads, this is the need that I have for this son or daughter of mine. Even if they're a pre-Christian, I want you to go there. And you step out in faith, as much faith as he's given you, say, and if you do it in love, it'll cover a multitude of mess-ups. Even if they don't want words, or anything, no, I don't want you to pray for me. I've had people, I feel like the Lord sent me, no, I don't want prayer. You're one of those. I said, okay. Okay, covet the prophecy. So look at page one. We haven't gotten too far, but we, got, we covered a lot of ground. Be eager, covet, number four there. First Thessalonians, we won't turn there, but it says, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Don't scoff at prophecy, but test everything that is said. So now Paul goes to another church. He didn't spend much time in Thessalonica. In fact, he was run out of there. Right? He's in Thessalonica. He writes a letter to him. He says, guys, don't scoff at prophecy, but test everything. So he's not saying, yeah, you shouldn't be prophesying. No, he didn't say that at all. Okay. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. See, he ties moves of the Holy Spirit with the move of that gifting. So what do we conclude from Scripture? The bottom of that page? <clears throat> prophecy is for today. We are to eagerly pursue all the gifts, especially prophecy, we're not to be critical or negative about, about prophetic words. Don't scoff at it, but make sure you hear the truth. And why are the gifts given? They're gifts that are given to help the church. Praise God. Okay, I want to read this to you. Randy Clark, I've got, <clears throat> this is really one of the first prophetic books that were written by, and we were just in um, Pennsylvania, <clears throat> and Larry Randolph, who was one of the lead prophets, back with Randy. Randy came out of the uh, Southern Baptist Church, um, he was kicked out of the Southern Baptist Church after a divorce. Uh, he became a vineyard pastor, but he was skeptical of all, you know, all this stuff, right, because based on his roots and where he'd come from. So I love what Randy, and, and these guys have run together for over 30 years. And uh, Larry's an amazing guy. I've seen, he was here twice, uh, several years back, <clears throat> and my mom loved him. But he, man, he's one of those guys that can tell you things like, <laughs> yipes. Okay, Randy writes this. Here's the, he wrote the foreword for Larry's user-friendly prophecy. So this was one of the first books that was written. I like what, what Randy does. He says, this is Randy Clark. He said, I quote, I find it quite ironic that I would be writing the foreword to a book on the subject of prophecy. Ironic because until I met Larry Randolph, I was quite negative regarding the issue of prophecy. Or it would be better to say I was quite negative in my view of prophets. The only prophetic person I knew was eccentric. One of them gave prophecies and parables and symbols and hard to understand. 
I had been very skeptical of the prophetic emphasis at Kansas City in the late 80s. I'd been in the home of one of the prophetic personalities in Kansas City, and honestly, part of my negative appraisal was the apparent excitement many people had regarding the prophetic. I was beginning to think that most people believed God had moved into Kansas City. My church was only five hours away on the other side of Missouri. I was an insecure pastor, threatened by success. The visibility, he was in chair number two, right? <clears throat> and I was insecure pastor. I was threatened by the visibility of the church of Kansas. I admit I really didn't know Mike Bickle. Yes, ma'am. I didn't really know Mike Bickle, <clears throat> but he knows one of my friends. He was one of my friends whom I have great respect for. So, how did I meet Larry Randolph and change my view on the prophecy? It happened this way. John Arnott, he was the Toronto Vineyard pastor, told me that he wanted to introduce the prophetic into the meetings in Toronto, where I was preaching. It was called the Toronto Airport Vineyard Christian Fellowship, now called the Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship. <clears throat> I told him I didn't really want to, but... I was in the role of the evangelist and would respect his decision. <laughs> Subject, right, to the prophet. John invited Larry Randolph to come and minister since John's staff person, Mark DuPont. Mark was here also. I've been in Mozambique with him, another amazing prophetic guy, very gifted prophetically from Scandinavia. We went to pick up Larry, and when I met him, I was initially nervous about this prophetic person. Larry will make you nervous. How weird would it be? I found Larry to be very friendly and fun to be with and talked about uh, on, in the car on the way to the meeting. During the meeting, I was praying for a pastor's wife who was having trouble breaking through in the presence of God. I'd worked with her for a while, <clears throat> but to no avail. Larry stepped up by me and politely asked, would you care if I prayed for her? Perhaps God will give me some insight? I was frustrated, but I was glad Larry took over since I wasn't getting anywhere. I was like praying for a, against a wall. I watched as Larry asked the woman three questions. It was obvious that he knew more about than he was sharing. In a brief period of time, the woman was in tears. No longer was it like praying to the brick wall. I was amazed at how natural Larry ministered, how gentle, how caring, and how powerful was the effect. I was so impressed that I asked Larry to pray for me that I too might begin to prophesy over people like Larry had just done. Larry prayed for me and still desire more than anointing in the area of prophecy had come. I was so impressed that I've had Larry join others to be one of the principal speakers in the last prophetic conferences in my city. And he's done that now at Voice of the Prophets for I don't know how many years. His times of sharing have some of the most popular teachings given during these last three prophetic staff in Tenoville. So basically, he endorsed Larry and saw that when he didn't know how to pray to break through, the revelation that came through the prophetic opened up the healing. Now, I want you to just see, Larry goes through in this book, he shares um, how his father was prophetic and how he learned. He would, he would go to the, as a boy, he'd go out to the chicken pen and he'd say, okay, Lord, there's going to be nine eggs here today. And he'd say, well, I got something to get it right. So he, he calls it chicken prophecy, right? Um, how he kind of tested those things. But the way he really started down the path was in, I'm going to read one story to you that I thought was really, he calls it chicken yard prophecy and 
dealing with prophetic environments, his father would talk about the weather and prophesy the weather. And he, they, Anyway, it, he said, look, there was a gifting and a call in, in my life early on. But he developed this gift, and he said, anybody can develop the gifts. There it is, the easy user-friendly prophecy. But here's what happened. He says, now, I don't know about you, but here's a, it sounds like a, a spirit-led church. What if God told you this piece? <clears throat> I'd like you to go to New York, buy a ticket tomorrow, and fly to New York, and find a hotel when you get there, and I'll tell you what to do when you get there. <clears throat> That's all you get. Is that you, God? That can't be God. He went, nah, nah. Okay, well, let's see what happened here. So the year was 1977. I stepped on a jumbo jet at L.A. LaGuardia Airport, stepped off the jet, deep in thought, reflecting on the past few decades of my life. More than 20 years had passed since my chicken yard prophecy, and my prophetic gifting had grown considerably, although I no, no longer knew how many eggs <coughs> were in the hen house. I was sure that God had placed a prophetic call in my life. <clears throat> I had determined to fulfill the call a way that would be pleasing to God and beneficial to His people. As I approached the crowd of unfamiliar faces at the terminal in the airport, I was perplexed. It seemed hard to believe, but I had just traveled over a thousand miles from Arkansas in blind obedience to a prophetic dream. Had I lost my mind or was I operating in the mind of Christ? The implications of what I was doing began to slowly dawn upon me. Nevertheless, I was absolutely certain about three things. First, early in the month, I had a prophetic dream that instructed me, visit New York City. I was given no further information other than seeing a vision of a white late model car, which later would be significant in the role of my trip. Second, in spite of the fact that I was broke, scared, and never ventured out of my home state, less alone flown in a plane, I was determined to obey and believe in the prophetic word. Third, out of obedience, I was now standing in a strange city, completely dependent on God, leading in providence. I picked up the payphone to summon a taxi. My mind began racing all kinds of questions. This faith and obedience stuff is great, I thought, but now I'm here in a world I don't know what I'm doing. I didn't know anyone on the East Coast, much less New York City. I was totally alone, no place to complicate matters. I'd used all but $100 of my money to pay to get the round-trip ticket. But even if God multiplied my money threefold, I didn't have enough to rent a hotel room or to buy food for the next three days. In spite of my concern, I squared my shoulders, put my best foot forward, stepped out boldly, awaiting for my taxi, and asked the taxi driver to take me to Stony Brook, Long Island, where I'd heard the Messianic Conference was being held. Upon arrival, I randomly selected a hotel and used the remainder of my money to rent a room for one night. Clutching my last few dollars, I stumbled into the hotel cafe to have a cup of coffee and to ponder, what do I do now? After being seated, I felt my faith start to waver as doubts began to surface. Why would God require me to come here anyway? Doesn't He care that I have no money? I have no way to get back to the airport. I don't have any food. Have I missed God? Still for a moment, awaiting the answer, none came. Shrugged my shoulders in exasperation, turned to the only source of comfort, my cup of coffee. 
I sipped my coffee, and I felt the Spirit of God descend on me. Although I didn't know why, my attention was drawn to a man sitting at a table in the back of the restaurant. Middle-aged, well-dressed, he was dining alone. At first, it appeared the gentleman's attention was focused on his food. However, his eyes met mine, and he seemed to lose interest in everything except us exchanging glances. Every few seconds, he would look up from the table and stare at me desperately, needing something. I said, what is wrong with this guy? I thought, what does he want from me? Why do I feel sorry for him? I don't know if I do. He displayed my, my obvious signs of trouble and pain. He, uh, he displayed obvious signs of trouble and pain. Nor did there seem to be anything out of the ordinary about the man. Then for the first time since I'd left Arkansas, the Lord began to speak to me. He indicated that this man in the business suit was suicidal and was about was to go and I was to sit beside him. I was shocked. No way, Lord. I was willing to be brave, fly an airplane, even though I'm afraid of heights, I'm willing to come. New York, no money, no food. But if you want me to, I'll go do it. Feeling confident that I was now off the hook, I quickly got up into the line of the cash register to pay for my coffee. I had just stuck my change in my pocket when I felt a gentle tug on my right shoulder. At first, I thought it was an impatient customer who was urging me to hurry out of the line. But much to my surprise, I heard the voice behind me say, Sir, are you a minister? As I turned to see, I was dumbfounded. The gentleman whom the Lord had spoken to me about was standing in front of me with a look of desperation on his face. I thought, how did you know I was a minister? Till that day, I still neither have seen nor talked to this man before. I had not seen or talked to this man before. If this is you, God, would you bring me to New York to help one man? With these thoughts swirling around in my head, I followed the man back to the table, and we began to talk about his life. His name was Richard. He was raised Catholic, rarely went to Mass, believed in God. However, until recently, he'd seen no reason to commit his life to the Lord. Prior to that year, he had a nice car, a beautiful wife, wonderful kids, partnership in a growing company. Everything seemed to be going fine until suddenly it all fell apart. Approximately eight months ago, much to his dismay, his wife of many years filed for divorce. He'd been asked to move out of his house, forbidden to speak to his children. To add to his dilemma, his business began to falter. He had lost all hope and had no reason to live. With great pain in his voice, Richard continued to tell me about the events of leading up to this encounter. Two days prior to our meeting, he had left his home in Wisconsin to drive to New York to conduct business. In his mind, it was the last trip he would ever take. Once he had concluded this business trip, he determined he would kill himself with the gun he had stashed in the glove compartment of his car. En route to New York, something significant happened. He turned on the car radio to the gospel station where he'd heard Schambach, R.W. Schambach, preach the message of salvation. For the first time in his life, Richard had decided to pray, Lord, if you are really who you are and you care about me, I want to know. Otherwise, I'm going to kill myself. At this point, he made an unusual request of God. Almost reluctantly, he murmured, God, if you will send someone to talk to me while I'm in New York, I will reconsider my plans. Richard hesitated and said to me, that's why I approached you. I just had a feeling you were the minister that could possibly help me. Are you the one, and can you really help me? 
as I struggled to control my emotions. I paused briefly and gathered my thoughts. Then in faith, I opened my mouth, believing that God would give me the right things to say. Sir, I know now why I am here in New York. Would you believe that God loves you so much he would go to great lengths and extremes to help you? Would you believe that he moved heaven and earth divinely to orchestrate our meeting? Would you believe that God is so extravagant he would send an insignificant small-town preacher all the way from Arkansas on a blind journey just to say, God loves you? Please don't take your life. With tears running down his face, Richard reached out and grabbed my hand, looked directly in my eyes, and he said, what can I do to be saved? Will you come to my hotel room and tell me what I need to know? I need to know about the love of God. Without hesitating a moment, I responded, yes, God wants to save you and fill you with his Holy Spirit. Richard immediately responded to these words of hope, led me to his room. We encountered the living Lord together. With several hours of talking, praying, shedding tears of repentance, he was gloriously saved, delivered from despair, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and apparently it only taken what had apparently taken months for God to orchestrate this meeting, but in a matter of hours, the miraculous had taken place. Richard's life was changed forever. He had found God, and God quickly responded to his cry of desperation. Now that God had met Richard's needs, my situation also was about to change. I would soon discover what God, when God leads, he provides. I had been willing for God to use me in Richard's life, and now this believer had an intense desire to channel my need. Richard felt impressed to buy my meals, pay my hotel bill uh, for the remainder of my stay, and in my eyes, the miraculous provision, I had, he had, I had been faithful to God, and he had been faithful to me. When it was time to return home, there was yet another blessing in store for me. Richard felt that he should drive me to the airport. When I saw his car, I was stunned. It was the same late model white car I had seen in the prophetic dream I had received in Arkansas. Now as I was seated in the front seat, conversing with a man whose prayer in this car had supernaturally interrupted my life and brought me to a place far from home. Do you see the value of the prophetic? Okay. So let's stand. Lord, we... We just come and we, we, we ask, I ask now, Lord, that you would start to release dreams and visions. That as your people position and pray, we're now in this 21-day, 19-day fast remaining for 15 minutes a day that the Holy Spirit would be poured out. I'm asking you to make the communication specific and empowering for each of the ones that are here, their families, the church the city, the region, the state, the nation, and the nations. So, God, I thank you that you would just come. On this Mother's Day that is coming down on Sunday, Lord, I'm praying, Father, for those that it's a glorious time and for those who've lost loved ones as well, that you would do a supernatural work in their hearts and in their minds. And we thank you tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name. God bless you all. Thank you for being here.